0: Here we are, it's a Wednesday, and the world is in the midst of its slow-motion collapse. But at least President Obama had fun in Cuba yesterday. I mean serious fun. He gave a speech. He took a picture in front of a mural of, of a terrorist, right? Che Guevara behind him. He went to a ball game, and he yucked it up with a guy who used to do this sort of thing on a routine basis. That right there is Raul Castro blindfolding a guy who's about to get shot. Uh, he's a real charmer. So the important thing, though, is that Barack Obama made clear to everybody he's a super-duper important dude. He said he ended the Cold War in the Western Hemisphere yesterday. That's a contention that might be challenged by the 11 million or so people stuck in that communist hellhole. And then he patted himself on the back while smoking a cigar and drinking a pina colada. That takes three arms, so the Castros actually just chopped off one from a dissident and gave it to Obama as a gift, which he accepted as a token of friendship. And this is our president. He's a shallow, pathetic, ridiculous little man-child, and he simply wants to be loved, even if he's looking for love in all the wrong places. And if people disagree that Obama's great, well... He can always take a lead from his new friend, the Castros. Okay, so I just want to point something out here. You see that building behind Che Guevara? It's actually worse than the sculpture of Che Guevara. It turns out that's the Cuban Ministry of the Interior. That's where they imprison, torture, and punish all the dissenters. It's like a KGB factory. Maybe Obama will save the interior of that building for his next tour. Or maybe he'll just go to another ball game and really enjoy himself. What a guy. Well, lots to talk about today. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The tend to they're demonize they're people who don't care about your feelings. Control. So as the Constitution is being assaulted from all sides by President Obama, by Donald Trump, by, by just pretty much everybody who's never read the thing, read the thing don't care about the thing. It's important for you to know what the Constitution stands for. What are the principles and what are the values that undergird the Constitution of the United States? You may have read the document, still not understand it that well. You need somebody to really explain to you what it's all about. The folks at Hillsdale College do that better than anybody on the planet. They are wonderful. Hillsdale College is a great, great college. If you're sending your kids to college, Hillsdale should be at the top of your list. But beyond that, they have a new course they just brought out. You can access it at hillsdale.edu slash ben. And it's a free course, perfectly free, called Constitution 101. It's an online video course, and you can hear about what the Constitution really says, what your rights are, how the government is supposed to work. The Constitution 101 course from Hillsdale College at hillsdale.edu slash ben. Can't recommend it more highly. It really is a wonderful institution and a wonderful course. I've actually checked it out, hillsdale.edu slash ben. Make sure that you go there today. Okay, so yesterday there was a big terrorist attack in Brussels. And as we mentioned... Donald Trump responds the way that most people respond, the way that your uncle on the toilet, if you just heard about it, would respond. He just says, oh, those damn Muslims Close the borders. And he's not entirely wrong. As I said yesterday, he's almost 100 percent right when he says that this is an Islamic problem. And when he says that the borders need to be closed to radical Muslims, obviously he's he's correct. I also said yesterday that if there is a terrorist attack one week before a general election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump will be the president of the United States. The reason for that is not so much Trump as it is Hillary Clinton. So let's take a look at what Hillary Clinton had to say after we finished our show yesterday. Here's what Hillary Clinton said last night. She was doing a rally and she was talking about ISIS and here is what Hillary Clinton had to say about ISIS and Donald Trump.
1: The last thing we need, my friends, are leaders who incite more fear. In the face of terror, America doesn't panic, we don't build walls or turn our backs on our allies, we can't throw out everything we know about what works and what doesn't and start torturing people, what Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, and others are suggesting is not only wrong, it's dangerous.
0: Okay, this sort of crap doesn't play, doesn't play. Even her own supporters are there, and they, they are bound to cheer by blood packed with Satan. But that still does not solve the problem for her, which is that everything she's saying here is incorrect. So Israel has fought terror for literally a decade because they built a giant security fence between themselves and all the Palestinian areas. And suicide bombings went from pretty frequent to almost never. And that's because, again, they built a fence. Israel religiously profiles, and that's why they have a low rate of terror. The West does not religiously profile. That does not mean every Muslim should not be allowed into Israel or into the West. It does mean that unless you buy into the prevailing ideology of freedom, then you shouldn't be allowed in. Brussels, for those who don't know, is 26% Muslim. One in every four people in Brussels is Muslim. The entire population of Belgium is only 6% Muslim, but this is essentially like Dearborn, Michigan. It's a very heavily Muslim population in Brussels, a very heavily non-assimilated population in Brussels. When Hillary says we can't react to terrorism with fear, First of all, Hillary doesn't know what she's talking about. She reacts to terrorism by ignoring it and then blaming YouTube videos for it after it kills Americans. She, she, better than anybody, should know what bad policy looks like since she's the author of that bad policy. But beyond that, of course the natural response to terrorism is fear. And you're going to be afraid until you have a plan. This is just a rule of life. Okay? Anytime you're in life and you're afraid and you're upset, that's because you don't have a plan. Once you have a plan, you feel better about everything. This is true for everything from health problems to personal relationship issues. If you don't have a plan, you're going to be more afraid. Planning is what the human brain is made for. You are made for this. You are made to come up with plans to combat the problems in your life. And one of the great battles for religious people is the battle between the human need to plan and the recognition that God's in charge. But when it comes to politics, a plan is everything. Hillary doesn't have a plan, and you're going to be afraid on terror when you don't have a plan. People are more afraid of terror now than they were during the Bush administration because, number one, Bush had a plan. And number two, Bush's plan was to kill the bad guys. Obama's plan, I mean, he was in Argentina today, and today President Obama says the only way to defend them is to just go about our daily business. That's the only way to defend. He was trying to excuse why he went to a ball game yesterday, as we mentioned up top. And his excuse was, well, I learned from the Boston Red Sox that you just have to go out and you have to play baseball even if you're afraid of terrorism. He said, well, those are the Boston Red Sox. Their job is to play baseball. You're the president of the United States. Your job is to be president of the United States. He also said, by the way, that the best way to fight ISIS was to send them a message they will not win. Like what, on a Hallmark card? I'm like engraved invitation? I'm going to send a smoke signal over there? How does that message work exactly? If Obama just calls them up, he says, hey, this is Barack Obama. Message to you. You're not going to win. Does anyone really think that that is going to stop terrorism or stop ISIS? in any real way. All of this is nonsense and none of it works. And by the way, it's not Donald Trump who's inciting fear. It's people blowing themselves up in the middle of airports that's inciting fear. that's what's creating fear. It turns out that we have a rational fear of people shooting people here in Southern California because it just happened a few months ago. We have a rational fear here in the United States of people flying planes into buildings and blowing themselves up in malls. We have, this is a purely rational fear. There's nothing irrational about this. But Hillary continues to push this message that it's irrational to be afraid, the only rational response is to give a big, warm hug to every Muslim that we can find. And if those Muslims are with Western civilization, then sure, everybody in Western civilization deserves a hug, although please don't invade people's personal spaces, particularly mine. If you touch me, I'll get upset with you. But Hillary Clinton said this, right? This was her, her reaction to Wolf Blitzer when she was asked about Donald Trump talking about Islam.
1: Well, that's a that's a long debate that people like him try to stir up. Uh, you know, I call it radical jihadist terrorism because you know it is clearly rooted uh, in uh, Islamic thinking that uh, you know has to be contested first and foremost by Muslims around the world. But I think it's a mistake. I've said that repeatedly. George W. Bush said it uh, that uh, to you know do anything that implies we are at war with an entire religion with uh, one or you know, 1.2 or 4 billion people is not only wrong, it is dangerous. You know, right here at home we need to be uh, reaching out and including Muslim Americans and communities where they live in our first line of defense. We don't need them to feel that if they hear something or see something that they can't report it. Uh, We want them to report it. We want them to be part of our protecting the United States and the same uh, goes for Europe. So, you know, I think these debates about semantics really uh, misses the point. You know, I was involved in the most important counterterrorism uh, effort of the last eight years and making a decision about whether or not to go after bin Laden. Oh, I think I understand the stakes. I also think up. I understand that we will be more uh, effective in defeating uh, radical jihadism, in defeating ISIS and all of the other terrorists. Okay, terrorist, we can stop
0: right uh, here. So there are a couple of things that she's saying. One is that radical Islam is not the same as Islam. I assume that's right, but, again, I don't really care what your interpretation of Islam looks like. I care what you do. I talked about this yesterday, and there is a giant subset of Islam. Whether it's a minority or majority is very unclear, statistically speaking. That is very, very radical. And this idea that if we're just nicer to Muslims, they'll start talking to the cops, that's, re- that's really what's stopping them. You know, l- Let's put it this way. You know that there's a guy—I'm I- not that—I like. I- I know a lot of cops, and I'm fond of cops generally. But most people— are kind of scared of cops because most of the time when the cop shows up, it's to do something that you're not going to like. So, but by the same time, if somebody's living next door and you find out that they're stockpiling bombs, they're building a suicide vest, how fast are you on the phone to the cops? How fast are you personally on the phone to the cops? Is there anything that could dissuade you from going to the cops if you knew somebody was doing that? The idea that if we're just nicer to Muslims in Western Europe or the United States, that this is what's going to drive them to start cooperating more with law enforcement, this is pure nonsense. It's pure nonsense. Europe couldn't be any nicer to Muslims in Western Europe. They're letting them in without assimilating at all. At all. They're allowing them to form basically these conclaves, these, these large groups of people who have no contact with Western civilization inside Western Europe. And the idea from Hillary is that if we're just nicer, then that will solve it. By the way, this, this, this routine is getting real old. The, I remember, I'm old enough to remember when Rudy Giuliani ran for president eight years ago. And everybody said, ah, he keeps talking about 9-11. He needs to stop talking about 9-11. At least he was there for 9-11. At least he did something during 9-11. Hillary dragging out bin Laden's body every so often and wheeling it around like weekend at Bernie's is really just gross. It's really really sickening because let's be real about that. Everybody said, oh, gutsy gutsy call. That was the easiest call maybe in the history of American politics. He's the most wanted man in the history of the world probably. And you made the call to go in and shoot him. How is that in any way a gutsy call? But Hillary takes credit for that so that we can ignore the fact that she made gutless calls in Benghazi. She made the gutless call to invade Libya for no apparent reason. She made gutless call after gutless call in Iran, with Russia, with Syria. It's it's very tiresome. Hillary, again, is a disaster on foreign policy. And her playing the I-know-what-I'm-doing expert is it doesn't fly. And this is why Trump against Hillary on foreign policy, if there's a terrorist attack, doesn't, doesn't work at all for Hillary Clinton. Meanwhile— President Obama has made clear his priorities. So as I mentioned, he's in Argentina today, continuing his tour of repudiating the West. So he's in Argentina because Argentina is now run basically by socialists. And they're very, uh, over in Argentina, they're they're very upset because, you know, 30 years ago there was support from the Reagan administration for for a a junta military cadre that killed people. So Obama's down there apologizing to the Argentinians after going to Cuba to apologize to them. Even though the current regime of both Argentina and Cuba, they're both terrible, Argentina is less horrifying than Cuba, but neither is any great shakes, obviously. Now, President Obama is going on his worldwide apology tour, and while he's doing it, he's just making an ass of himself and an ass of America, but he thinks that it makes him look good. He thinks that it makes him look like the big man on campus. Here's, there's a vine that I thought perfectly captured Obama's attitude toward what was happening in Brussels and, and really in the entire world. Yesterday, here's somebody obviously is photoshopped in a pina colada and and a cigar and the sunglasses. But here's President Obama yesterday at the uh, at the Cuban baseball game. That's pretty much right. So yeah, that's that, that was President Obama yesterday at the Cuban baseball game. And it's not just that. I mean, President Obama arrives at this Cuban baseball game yesterday. And you see the ESPN microphones. Everybody's pretending this is all great and hunky-dory and wonderful. As I mentioned yesterday, President Obama dislikes the West at a very root level. He thinks the ideology of the West is nasty and pernicious and racist and exploitative. And so he likes this. I mean, he likes to go to the Cuban regime and hear people cheer for him, which is what happened. He goes there and Cuba stacks the entire stadium with supporters, all cheering President Obama as he walks in. So he can feel that warm, basking glow of love that he lacked from his father when he was growing up, which is what some of this is about. Here's President Obama walking through the stadium yesterday. People snapping photos. I mean, just 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 wonderful, just glorious. ESPN's Dan Lebitard, who is not a right winger, he voted for Obama twice, I believe. He is. A, his father was a Cuban expatriate, uh, and he had family He was killed by the by the Castro regime. Yesterday, he he talked about what it means that Obama did what he did in Cuba. Here's what it sounded like. I believe in the regime. I believe in the government.
2: Their baseball team has been a propaganda tool for a long time, winning gold medals. And this is this right here is a win. Or the Cuban national propaganda machine, uh, America playing a road game uh, with the Cuban.
0: And that's exactly right. It is a propaganda machine. That, by the way, that's a lefty. That's a lefty. And this is why Donald Trump has a shot. This is why Donald Trump versus Hillary on terror and foreign policy, they have a shot. Because, again, the left is so ensconced in its own bizarre view of the universe that they refuse to acknowledge that there are actual bad guys out there. In fact, they'll reach over backwards. In order to help those actual bad guys. Even the left is turning on itself. Chris Matthews of our NMA, he was very upset with Obama. Obama's phoning in in breathless. Let me tell you, I brush my hair with a shoe and then I go on TV and I talk like this. Go.
2: But let's talk about President Obama's behavior today. I grew up in a big city, Philadelphia, which I'm proud to always say. And, 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 and Peter, Congressman King understands this. When there's a big fire, you want to see the mayor on the other curb watching it? You want to see the police chief standing there, the fire chief? You want to see them standing on the curb. You don't want to hear they phoned it in. Right. And the president was off base today. He wasn't there. What could he have done better than well, taking a, a well, minute away from a baseball you know, game? You know what? He I, had to do something. Well, you know what,
3: Chris? I would agree with your analogy if the if the horrific attack in Brussels happened in the United States. If President Obama were in Cuba and something had happened in the United States as happened did in Brussels,
0: home? then then I would agree with you. Agree with what? Agree with you, right you that the pre- President Obama? Okay, President. Let's give a brief history of what President Obama did during attacks on Americans. Not in not in Europe, but on Americans. During Benghazi, he went to bed, and then he flew to Vegas for a fundraiser with Beyonce. After James Foley was beheaded, he went golfing. During the San Bernardino attacks, he went completely missing. After the Paris attacks, in which Americans died, he did not show up in Paris. He sent Secretary of State John Kerry there instead. And now he's busy at a baseball game. So this defense doesn't work, and even even Chris Matthews he Grew up in Philadelphia, knows that great Philadelphia is a great takes. because Rocky was filmed there. Everybody knows Creed's not as good as Rocky. It was an okay movie. It wasn't my favorite movie. But let me just tell you about Obama. What say you, Michael Isikoff? The, even Chris Matthews knows that President Obama's off base here. And this is why, I've said this for years, by the way. If Republicans are to win elections ever again, they will win on two issues. Two issues. Crime, national security. That's it. Those are the two issues where they will win particularly because women tend to vote on the basis of security. And I'll explain this in just a minute, but we have to take a quick profit timeout for our friends over at Reagan.com. So you have an email address, and you're concerned that the government or that corporations are going to grab your email information, use it to either market to you, spam your inbox, or perhaps to send it over to the federal government for whatever nefarious use they have for it, because, hey, you're not a terrorist, but you want your privacy. So you go to ReaganPrivacy.com, ReaganPrivacy.com, There you obtain your email address. It's your name at Reagan.com. That's cool for a couple of reasons. Number one, you get to use Reagan's name, which is really neat. And number two, they make sure that they will not copy, scan, or sell a single word of your email content to anyone at any time. They will protect your emails. And that sort of privacy is the privacy that you deserve and that you need. If you go to ReaganPrivacy.com right now, you get two free months at ReaganPrivacy.com. So go there right now, get your new email address, tick off all your lefty friends, and protect your privacy in the process, that's a pretty good deal. So, back to the topic. When it comes to Republicans winning elections, there have been a, there's been a lot of talk about Republicans need to win by appealing to white people. Republicans need to win by appealing to lower class people. Republicans need to win by appealing to Hispanics. There are all these theories about which subgroup you appeal to. The real answer is that Republicans actually need to do better among women. There's a massive gender gap for Republicans, and there has been for many years. The only time that gender gap was overcome was in 2004, and that was because women were afraid of what was happening overseas. It turns out that by every poll, women, for very good evolutionary reason, are more afraid of violence than men. And men are not quite as afraid of violence because we're bigger and we're stronger. We have bigger upper body strength and we're stupider. So that means that we're willing to run into fields of fire and take shots, which is a great thing, but it also means that we are not as fearful of violence as women are. Women, when they feel threatened, tend to vote for whoever is going to protect them. And the fact is that what you see is is that Republicans like Rudy Giuliani can only win in blue cities like New York if they run on an anti-crime platform, if they run on an anti-crime platform. Now the platform is made for a conservative, seriously, because we're seeing the crime rates go up in every major city in the United States right now thanks to the Ferguson effect, which is after Ferguson and the Black Lives Matter movement, police officers have been intimidated into not doing their jobs because they're afraid Eric Holder is going to swoop on in and prosecute them for doing their jobs. The same thing is true on foreign policy. Thanks to Obama, the world is on fire. You are at risk, I am at risk. The State Department today issued a travel advisory, not just for Brussels, they issued a travel advisory for all of Europe, for all of Europe. They're saying they can't guarantee your safety anywhere in Europe. And why would they? I mean, let's, let's look at the list of capitals that have been hit just in the last 15 years by Islamic terrorists. New York, Washington DC, Boston, LA, that's just in the United States, and there have been terrorist attacks elsewhere, too, like, you know, kind of one or two people being shot in various places, ranging from Tennessee to Texas. And then in Europe, Madrid was hit. London was hit. Brussels was hit. Paris has been hit twice in the last year. All right, So this is increasing, and it's increasing in, in scope, and it's increasing in frequency. So people are afraid, and they should be afraid. Hillary says Republicans are ginning up fear. No, the, the Islamists are ginning up fear. The, 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 the radical Muslims are ginning up fear. Republicans are the ones who theoretically should be able to say, we're going to stop this because here is our plan. Hillary has offered no plan, no plan, other than to hug the Muslims as tightly as possible and hope they call the cops. She's offered no plan. Somebody who has offered a plan is Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz has an even better plan than Donald Trump. Trump says, we'll stop immigration. Maybe we won't stop immigration. Here's Ted Cruz saying, here's what we actually have to do with law enforcement. We need to patrol some of the more heavily Muslim neighborhoods.
2: Our enemies are not every muslims our enemy is radical islamic terrorists are the jihadists that seek to murder us and it is the heart of law enforcement and national security to prevent those who are waging war on you from actually carrying out their attempted so acts of
0: war beyond just uh... having relationships with mosques having law enforcement uh, have ongoing relationships with, with Moss which happens frankly in many cities
1: with the FBI and local police departments in many cities currently in the United States are you saying going
0: beyond that because it does sound like in your statement in empowering law enforcement to patrol and secure Muslim neighborhoods I still don't quite understand what that means
2: uh, it, it's very simple it's doing what law enforcement does in any circumstance if you if you have a neighborhood where there is a high level of gang activity The way to prevent it is you increase the law enforcement presence there and you target the gang members to get them off the street. But you're talking about Muslim
1: neighborhoods, not not radicals particularly.
2: I am talking about any area where there is a higher incidence of radical Islamic terrorism. If you look at Europe, Europe's failed immigration laws have allowed a massive influx of radical Islamic terrorists into Europe, and they are now in, in isolated neighborhoods where radicalism festers. It festers and grows, and sadly, that leads directly to the kind of attack we saw in Brussels, to the attacks we've seen in Paris. We need to prevent radicalization, and that is by targeting it. And and Anderson, I'll give you an example. You know, sometimes yesterday I was on with with Wolf Blitzer on CNN, and Wolf asked me, well, well, gosh, you know, what, what difference does it make if you call it radical Islamic terrorism? Well, it impacts the policy, Dramatically, because if you won't identify it, and, and, and Obama won't identify it, Hillary won't identify it, Democrats won't identify it, then you don't act yeah. to combat it. And so, for example, so he's, he's right. Obama I mean, he acting. goes
0: on along these lines, but this is exactly right. The left has gone nuts on Cruz for saying this. They say, How dare you say that we should police Muslim neighborhoods differently than non Muslim neighborhoods, even if all of the terrorism is coming from Muslim neighborhoods? How, how dare you police it differently? And they say, well, New York had a program like this, and it was shut down back in 2012, and it was totally ineffective. In Commentary magazine, there was a guy named Mitchell Silber, and Mitchell Silber debunked pretty much all of this. The Federalist has a very good piece today uh, by a guy named David Marcus talking about this. He writes, on criticisms that the NYPD's demographics unit was violating the rights of Muslims, Silber says, plainclothes officers of the demographics unit were deployed for this mission. They went into neighborhoods that had heavy concentrations of populations from the countries of interest, and walked around, bought a cup of tea or coffee, had lunch, observed the individuals in the public establishments they entered. This is an important point. Only public locations were visited. Doing so was perfectly within the purview of the NYPD. On criticisms, the NYPD had no real results. The Demographics Unit was critical in identifying the Islamic Books and Tapes bookstore in Brooklyn as a venue for radicalization. Information the unit collected about the store provided a predicate for an investigation that thwarted a 2004 plot against the Herald Square subway station. The unit also played a role in forming the initiation of an investigation that led to the 2008 identification of Abdul Hamid Shahada, which is a New Yorker who was arrested and is currently facing federal charges for allegedly lying about his plans to travel to Afghanistan in order to kill U.S. servicemen. So basically, yes, it was an effective program. Yes, it was, it was a useful program. And Cruz is exactly right. Cruz is exactly right. So that's an actual plan. This is why Republicans, with actual plans to stop terrorism, do better in, in these sorts of issues than all of the people on the left who keep saying that there really is no problem. Let's just ignore it. No biggie. No big deal. Okay, meanwhile, there's, a, there's another battle breaking out between Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. So every time you think that Republicans are, are about to get the upper hand in sort of the, the public relations war because they're right when it comes to terrorism and Democrats are wrong – they start going after each other. So, for example, Mitt Romney was, was going after Trump over, over his wives, and he made a joke about this, right? So apparently Trump, Romney said Donald Trump has had several foreign wives. It turns out there really are jobs Americans won't do. And it's a joke. It's a joke I think I may have told on the air before, basically. Um, and, uh, and that's fine. You know, Joking is joking. Well, Donald Trump is very upset. He's very upset now. The reason he's very upset is because there's a group called Make America Awesome, it's a super PAC that's mocking Trump. It's run by a gal named Liz Mayer, who was a, a consultant, a political consultant to Scott Walker briefly before she was fired because she was pro-choice. And Liz Mayer put out an ad, a Facebook ad, that was targeted at Utah, just ahead of the Utah primaries. And it was a Facebook ad starring Melania Trump, who is Donald Trump's wife, his current wife. And it's a picture, for those who can't see and are unlucky enough not to have bought a, a subscription and so can't see this, uh, it is Melania Trump naked. Uh, lying on what looks like a bear skin, and she is handcuffed to a bed, is what it looks like. She's got a handcuff on her on her left hand. And it says, meet Melania Trump, your next first lady, or you could support Ted Cruz on Tuesday. All right, So it's a rip on Melania Trump. And this made Trump just insane to no end. He lost his mind. So Donald Trump promptly tweeted out this. He said, lion Ted Cruz just used a picture of Melania from a GQ shoot in his ad. Be careful, lion Ted, or I will spill the beans on your wife. And Donald Trump may or may not have meant physical beans, I don't know. He's you know it's 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 always a possibility. Um, but but Donald Trump let, let's take him at his word. Basically he's saying that Ted Cruz used the picture of Melania. Okay, number 1. Ted Cruz did not do this. This had nothing to do with Ted Cruz. It was a Super PAC totally unaffiliated with Ted Cruz. It wasn't like there are Ted Cruz Super PACs that are for Ted Cruz. This was not even for Ted Cruz. It's just an anti-Trump Super PAC. Ted Cruz ended up shooting back at at Trump, basically, pick of your wife, not from us. Donald, if you try to attack high, you're more of a coward than I thought. Hashtag classless. Which is fair. But I want to point out a couple of other things about this. Donald Trump, he plays this double game where he 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 honestly has some of the thinnest skin in politics. I mean, he he's willing to hit anyone with the kitchen sink, and that's one of the things his supporters like about Donald Trump. But he cannot take a hit. I mean, for the life of him, he just cannot take a hit. And so... Let's point out a couple of things real fast. Donald Trump is very upset, very, very upset that anyone would deign to say anything about his wife. I'm old enough to remember just last August when Donald Trump tweeted this about Jeb Bush's wife, right? And it was was a retweet. It said, Jeb Bush has to like the Mexican illegals because of his wife. His wife is Mexican, right? Jeb's wife is Mexican. And so she must love illegal immigration because his wife is Mexican. Trump ended up deleting that tweet and then if you remember, we talked about it at the time, Jeb Bush ended up asking Trump for an apology, and then Trump said no, and then Jeb did what he always did, which he sort of cowered in the corner and cried himself to sleep. But the idea that Trump has never attacked anybody else's wife is silly. He, he's personally attacked people's wives. And how about the idea that people really shouldn't attack other people for posing in, in sexually provocative poses on magazine covers, like particularly on the cover of GQ, for example? Uh, here is Donald Trump on Megyn Kelly at the end of January. It's a tweet, and it's it's a meme, and it shows Megyn Kelly in a sexy pose from a GQ shoot several years ago. And it says, criticizes Trump for objectifying women, poses like this in GQ magazine. And then Trump tweeted, and this is the bimbo that's asking presidential questions. That's why he retweeted. So Trump is all hot and bothered that anybody would say anything about his wife who posed nude. But he was happy to go after Megyn Kelly for posing in a sexy dress uh, for for GQ, the exact same magazine that his wife posed for in 2000. Okay, there's another point to be made here too, and that is that people are saying, well, it's inappropriate to go after Melania. It's in bad taste to go after Melania or say anything about Melania. I frankly don't really care very much whether Melania posed nude or not. She did. I, I don't really care. It doesn't make much of a difference to me or to my life. It's not a decision, I think, that betrays a, a set of values with which I agree, but she's not the one running. So the question is, what does Melania and her posing nude have to do with Trump? What, what do these two have to do with each other? And the answer is kind of a lot. So when I married my wife, right, I married, she's, she's a doctor now, so my, um, I married a doctor, and I married her primarily because we shared a certain set of values, a vision for the future, what we wanted for our lives together. Secondarily, because she's super duper smart, my wife is quite brilliant. Thirdly, because my wife is a lot of fun and I have fun hanging out with her. And finally, because she's beautiful. So yes, the beauty plays a role, just like in, in any human sexual relationship, beauty plays a role. That's not how it works for Trump. Okay, the, everything else goes by the wayside. So here is what Trump said about meeting Melania in 1998. Quote, I saw Melania and I said, who is that? She was a very successful model. She was terrific. I tried to get her number and she wouldn't give it to me. Here's what Melania said. Quote, he came to the party with a date. I had heard he was a ladies' man, and so I said, I'm not one of the ladies. He said later that he sent her to the ladies' room so he could get my number. I was like, ooh, what a sneaky way. Melania told People Magazine she liked Trump's sparkle. I assume that that's a euphemism for, for his money, and took his number. Trump, by the way, was still technically married at the time. He was still technically married to Marla Mabe. So, so he cheated with his first wife, on his first wife with his second wife, and he cheated on his second wife with his third wife, and presumably at some point in the future, he'll upgrade his fourth wife. But Melania, like for him to claim that, that, Melania, that his and Melania's relationship is beyond, here's what it says about Trump. Trump is a womanizer and he's a misogynist. That's what it says. And you can tell based on his relationship with women. He used to go around, apparently, according to the, the UK Daily Mail, calling Melania, quote, my supermodel. right? So this sort of thing, this sort of pose is what drew Trump to her in the first place. Melania told Howard Stern in 2000, we have incredible sex at least once a day sometimes even more, right, which I'm sure is true. I'm, I'm sure that's just, I'm sure that's absolutely true, that they had sex multiple times a day because he's just such a virile, violent, vibrant man, Donald Trump. Trump told Stern about Melania looking good in a, quote, very small thong. So this whole her posing nude thing, it's not a shameful part of the past that it's some sort of hit on Melania to bring it up now. It's an integral part of the Trump brand. It's part of the Trump brand. I mean, honestly, I said to somebody this morning, you look at that picture, and you realize that they targeted this to Utah, and Utah then promptly voted for Ted Cruz 55% more than they voted for Donald Trump. And you realize that Utah is a really holy state, because I promise you, they run that ad in California. Donald Trump wins 173% of the available vote, <laughs> because Melania Trump is a good-looking woman. Final point on this. Okay, the, the idea that he's going to go after Heidi Cruz, so he's saying all fair is in love in politics. Look, they can go after each other as much as they want. Some hits are fair, some hits are not fair. On the rankings of fair hits, I don't think that Melania Trump is the fairest hit in the world. I also don't think it's the most unfair hit in the world. I think a fair hit is Heidi Cruz working for Goldman Sachs. That's not an unfair hit. I will tell you what I think is an utterly unfair hit, and this is where Trump is going to go next, and that is they're going to bring up the fact that there was a police report in which they found Heidi Cruz crying on the side of a road in 2005. Why? Because she was suffering from clinical depression. That's an unfair hit. That has nothing to do with Cruz. It has nothing to do with whether... Heidi Cruz has values or Ted Cruz has values. It has nothing to do with anything. Clinical depression is a very real issue. That's no more of a fair hit than if somebody had revealed that Melania Trump suffers from breast cancer or something. It's just it's, it's a silly, silly hit. And for, for Trump to try and trot that one out, which he hasn't done yet, but BuzzFeed has, I think is, is quite gross. Now, that's the, that's the anti-Trump segment of the program. Here's the pro-Trump segment of the program for, for the Trumpkins who are still listening. Hey, Paul Ryan did a speech today. Paul Ryan did a speech today that I think makes the best case for Donald Trump that there is. And that case is basically this. Here's what Ryan said. He did a speech, and he talked about tone. I am so sick of politicians talking about tone, I can't even begin to express it. The idea that, oh, we used to be civil up here on the Hill. We used to be nice to each other. We used to sit around and play cards and be buddies. I don't want you to do any of those things. I want you to go there, and I want you to struggle with each other and not get anything done for the most part unless there's an overwhelming majority support for doing something. That's what I want. Here's what Ryan said, Paul Ryan, who you know has gone along to get along with Democrats on multiple issues. I know Clavin has a soft spot for Ryan because he's for entitlement reform. That's a good thing. I'm glad he's for entitlement reform. He also voted in favor of TARP. He was one of the leads on the, in terms of the auto bailout. He was one of the the – Leaders in terms of the He was the leader in terms of passing through Obama's latest budget, which re-enshrined both funding for Obamacare and executive amnesty. Anyway, here's what Ryan had to say today. He said, quote, Looking around at what's taking place in politics today, it is easy to get disheartened. How many of you find yourself just shaking your head at what you see from both sides? Our political discourse, both the kind we see on TV and the kind we experience among each other, did not used to be this bad, and it does not have to be this way. Now, a little skepticism is healthy. When people distrust politics, they come to distrust institutions. They lose faith in their government and in the future, too. We can acknowledge this, but we don't have to accept it. We cannot enable it either. To which every conservative says, uh, "Hail and Hardy screw you. Seriously, because I don't trust politics. I don't trust politicians. Guess who also didn't? The founders. That's why they wrote all these checks and balances in there. If they trusted politicians, they would have said, let's put a god king in charge and let him run things. They distrusted politics so much And when they didn't feel they were being properly represented, they went out there with muskets and started shooting people, right? So this idea that politics is some sort of game of nicety and that it's the tone of politics that's the real problem, Donald Trump's kind of screw-you tone is maybe the only thing about him that I actually like. Now, there is a real critique of Trump, but it's not his tone, okay? I I think that that some of what he says is way over the top. I do find it off-putting that he's constantly in third-grade mode and he never exits it. Third grade mode is fun, is pepper in a stew, but you put too much in and it begins to become tasteless. Trump's real problem is that he actually disdains the vision of the founders. That's the problem for Trump. He doesn't know what the Constitution says. He doesn't care what the Constitution says. He doesn't believe in delegated powers. He doesn't believe in separation of powers. He believes in Trump and Trump first. That's what the critique should be. And I wish that Paul Ryan had gotten up and said that. I wish he had said, you know, what's what's unacceptable about Donald Trump is that he divides Americans along the basis of group identity. And that is a nasty thing to do because America is about individualism and opportunity. What I find troublesome about Donald Trump, Paul Ryan should have said, is that Donald Trump is someone who believes that the leader of the nation should have ultimate power just to make whatever deals he seeks, as opposed to there being a give and take and struggle that takes place and, a rep- and, and, and an understanding that a powerful government is bad for the people. But that's not what Paul Ryan said. And so long as Paul Ryan is still an advocate for a relatively big government just clothed in in sheep's clothing, then I have no interest in what he has to say. I would rather have the wolf in wolf's clothing than the wolf in sheep's clothing, Uh, and and that's sort of the problem. That's why there's been this reaction. Paul Ryan, people like him, created the Trump phenomenon because all that Donald Trump is, and Clavin is right about this, is a giant pulsating middle finger to everything. That's all that Donald Trump is. The problem is it's also to conservatism, which is why I oppose it. If you're going to throw the bird, at least throw the bird at the right people. Okay, time for things that I like and things that I hate. So we're doing great scenes, great speeches from, from film. And if you've ever seen the best years of our lives. Best years of our lives, I, I believe we won Best Picture in 1946. Terrific, terrific film. It's about all of these guys coming home from World War II and how they reintegrate into society. Well, one of the guys who comes home, this is maybe the most moving scene in film history. It's truly amazing. One of the guys who comes home um is played by a guy named Harold Russell. Harold Russell won a best supporting actor Oscar. Actually he won an, an honorary Oscar and I think also the best supporting actor for this. He comes home and he's he was a football star and he comes home and he's lost his hands in the war. He was he both his hands. And in, in real life Harold Russell did not have hands. So the, so he's you know this is real. Uh, and he, he used to wear hooks for hands. And so he had this girl who lived next door named Wilma and he and he's purposefully alienating her because he knows that if she marries him, she's going to have to live the rest of her life dealing with all of the issues that he has as a guy with no hands, that he can't open doorknobs, that he has to – when he wakes up in the morning, he's completely helpless. And so there's a scene where you know she comes over and she says, why are you being like this to me? She's still in love with him. And he says, let me show you what my night is like. And he, and he takes off his hooks. It's a beautiful scene. He takes off the hooks, and he says, "You know, I can't button my shirt. I can't do any of these things. Right? I have to have my parents do it for me. He's still living at home. And uh, and and this is what happens next. It's just beautiful.
2: This is when I know I'm helpless. My hands are down there on the bed. I can't put them on again without calling to somebody for help. I can't smoke a cigarette or read a book. If that door should blow shut, I can't open it and get out of this room. I'm dependent as a baby that doesn't know how to get anything except cry for it.
3: Well, now you know, Wilma. Now you have an
2: idea of what it is. I guess you don't know what to say. It's all right. Go on home. Go away like your family said.
0: I know what to say, Homer. I love you. And I'm never going to leave you. Never. Of course not. I told you I loved you.
2: I love you, Wilma. I always have it. And I always will.
0: Okay, the, the scene actually ends a little bit further on. What happens is that she, he gets in bed, she tucks him in, and then she walks out of the room, and as she's about to shut the door... She realizes and she leaves the door just to crack open so he can get out. It's, it's a beautiful movie. The, the entire film is a beautiful film. Great cast. Uh, so check it out. The, the score, obviously, is, is tremendous by Hugo Friedhofer. Terrific, terrific score. So check that movie out. Actually, Peggy Noonan, who uh, sometimes I like her stuff, sometimes I don't, but she says that she writes to the score from the best years of our life. She likes to put it on when she's writing, and I understand that. It's, it's, it's a terrific score. Okay, another thing that I like, Jimmy Kimmel produced a, a pretty funny supercut of Donald Trump Loving things. So Donald Trump, this is not a man with mild feelings about things, Donald Trump. Here is a, here's a, a brief list of all the things that Donald Trump loves. Here we go.
3: I love this country. I love the country. I love the old days. I love free trade. I love my company. I love building buildings. I love what I'm doing. I love hopping around. I love the way they twist and turn. I love NASCAR. I love your potatoes. We love people that faint. I love that sign. I love to bring my people up. I love helping people. I love Howie Kirchner. I love Sheriff Joe. I love my father. I love my kids. I love these people. I love tough people. I love my protesters. I love this guy over here. I love women. They love me and I love them. I love my life. I love the military. I love great generals. I love the vets. I love the wounded warriors. I love China. China's great. I love Mexico. I love the Mexican people. I love the Hispanics. I love the Saudis. I love Israel. I love the evangelicals. I love the Mormons. I love South Carolina. I love Iowa. I love
0: Okay, it just goes on for 3 years basically. Yeah, that dude loves a lot of things. By the way, there this I also this I actually do love. An avowed white nationalist and Trump supporter has now launched a 24-7 hotline to, quote, help those who are attacked physically and verbally for supporting Trump. There's a guy named William Daniel Johnson who has spoken of his desire for a white ethno state. He's an L.A.-based lawyer, and he has started the Trump Harassment Hotline. And this is for people whose feelings are hurt because anti-Trump people are making fun of them. So, you know, between the burning of the crosses, these white supremacists, they go home and they they get— Hotline calls from people to check up on them. Okay, here's the, the final thing that, that I hate. Um, do we have, let's see. Well, first of all, the Brussels crowd, after a couple of quick things on, on Belgium. One, they're, they're, the Brussels crowd, the crowd in Brussels, apparently got together last night to sing John Lennon's Imagine. Mashable tweeted about this. Heartbroken crowd in Brussels gathers to sing John Lennon's Imagine. You dolts. You dolts. It is precisely John Lennon's Imagine that leads to terrorist attacks like this. Because John Lennon's Imagine says it's multiculturalism at its finest, right? Imagine there's no religion. Imagine there's no God. Imagine there are no borders. Imagine there are no values. Everybody comes in. We just accept everything. There are no standards. And that's how you end up with dead people. Because it turns out that not everybody is singing John Lennon's Imagine along with you. There are just people who take advantage of your stupid John Lennon Imagine ideology to come into your country and then murder you. It turns out that there are wolves at the door, and when you open the door because you're busy singing Imagine and strumming along on your guitar, they're going to come through that front door, and they're going to murder you. Okay, that's number one. Number two, there's this NBC terrorism analyst, and what this terrorism analyst – I don't know how you get the job of – who is this, Evan Colmer? Uh, yeah, Evan Coleman, that's his name. Uh, and he says that his – here's his explanation of how we, how we fight terrorism
1: this is just the beginning because we have to get to the root causes of why this happened and those causes have not been dealt with There are international causes and there are local causes of course international cause there's been a war going on in syria and iraq now for going on five years and that war in addition to killing hundreds of thousands of syrians is now coming in the form of blowback to us here in the west the second issue is more local concerns right why is it that muslims and other immigrants in belgium have such a problem? Problem integrating with local society why is it that they do not feel like they are Belgian why is it that they are ghettoized into these communities and that has a lot to do with what's going on here because again if you look at the numbers way a much higher percentage of Belgians have gone to go fight in Iraq and Syria than French nationals and it's right next door
0: okay so what we can is- stop it there why are they feeling so alienated we have to solve why they're being they're being ghettoized they're not ghettoized they can live anywhere they want there are no laws on the books in Brussels telling them where they can and cannot live. They're living in communities they want to live in because they're Islamic communities. There are many Saudi Arabias and many Syrias in the middle of the West. And the West has tolerated this because they're too busy singing Imagine to realize that there are a bunch of people who don't want to assimilate. I love how the left, it's, it's really funny. You know, There are people on the left who say that, that right-wingers, we treat Muslims like, like dehumanized Muslims, which is asinine. Every person is a human. Some people just have really bad ideas. The, the problem is that the left treats Muslims like they're children, right? like they don't have the free capacity to choose what religious ideology to follow. And the idea is, oh, if we're just nicer to them, if, we're just ni- if we give them a cookie, they'll stop wanting to kill us. The West has been giving Muslims cookies for a really, really long time. Radical Muslims. They've been giving them welfare cookies, and they've been giving them cultural cookies, and they've been giving them citizenship, and they've been giving them refugee status. And the result is this, because you have adults, these are adults, and these are adults making the pure decision that their ideology is better than the ideology of the West. And there are some who are saying that they're willing to kill in the name of their ideology, and there are others who are saying we're willing to allow that murder to go forward and not report it to the police because of their ideology. Okay, Our enemies are not children. These are full-grown adults with actual belief systems. And pretending anything otherwise? Falling into the mists of Hillary Clinton's happy talk about Islam or Barack Obama's happy talk about how America's really the, the real problem if we're just nicer to them? Sorry, guys, you ain't God, okay? You don't control what other people think. Another, I've given a couple recipes for happiness. Here's my final recipe for happiness today. You are not in control of other people's feelings. They are in control of their feelings. That doesn't mean you treat them badly. But if you're doing your best, if you're doing the moral thing and they feel bad, that is their problem. okay? And they, they're, they're wrong. They're just wrong. People are sometimes wrong. It's not all up to you. You don't have the godlike power to confer on bad people decent thought or decency. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show.
3: Get the most out of your time in the outdoors and go to forlow.com and use code DAILYWIRE for
2: 20% off your purchase. That's forlow.com code DAILYWIRE.